guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks guys, now enjoy the show. Welcome to Mimosa Sisterhood, a podcast that celebrates women. What's up, friends? Welcome back to the show. This is Melissa, and you're listening to Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast, where we pop bottles and celebrate women's stories, past and present. And today, we're coming at you with another history episode featuring two of the baddest motherfucking broads that have walked the earth. We've got a really cool themed episode for you today, Women of Espionage. So we're talking all the scandalous things, the spies, the scams, the fraud, the fucking up Nazis, just all the badass shit that whittle old women we're never expected to be able to accomplish. Today, I have Andy Dominguez back on the mic. You guys know her. You guys love her. She's been on the show so many times now and has brought so many incredible women to this podcast. And she actually came up with the theme. So high five to Andy. Hell yeah. And I also want to give a huge shout out to our recent Mimosa Sister sponsor, who very kindly and very generously sponsored five glasses of bubbly and not just regular bubbly. She sponsored five glasses of French bubbly for me to drink on the podcast today. So everybody give a huge cheers to the one and the only Kelsey Berry. She's a longtime listener. She's a fan of Mimosa Sisterhood podcast. And she's also one of my very best friends. If anybody else out there listening would like to sponsor any alcoholic beverage, we are not discriminative when it comes to alcohol. I mean, we love the bubbly, but we very much will put anything down our gullets. If that's something that you would like to sponsor and if you would like to pick out the booze and send it my way, you can head over to my website, uh, mimosasisterhood.com, or you can go to the Instagram, mimosasisterhood underscore podcast, link in the bio, or you can just head to the show notes of this episode and I've got it linked there in the description area. So just a really fun, cool new feature I've brought on to the show and a cool way for the listeners to sort of engage with me, engage with the podcast, and kind of contribute to the production. I mean, you pick the booze, I drink it, and we all have a good time. On that note, have you heard about my recent listener survey that I created and put out into the social media universe? If you follow me on Instagram, you already know everything about this, and hopefully you've already contributed by providing your absolute listener genius to my survey. But if you have no idea what I'm talking about, well, guess what? You now have the opportunity to help me improve the show. If you are a longtime listener or even a new listener who's only heard a couple of episodes so far, I would love to get your feedback. 
I am always looking for ways to make this show better than it's ever been. So I created a anonymous survey where listeners can basically provide their feedback on the experience as a listener of Mimosa Sisterhood podcast. It's a huge, huge, huge help in me understanding what you love, what you don't love, what you want to see more of in the future. And it will really just help me improve the entire production and quality of the show so that I can continue doing what I love, but in a way that's easily digestible and also pleasurable for the audience. So if you have five minutes to spare, I would really, really, really appreciate your help in this. You can find this anonymous survey linked in the show notes of this episode description. Or if you're on Instagram, you can head to the link in my bio and you can access it there as well. But it would be a huge help and it only takes about five minutes and it's totally anonymous. So if you hate my fucking guts, now's the time to tell me. All right. Well, with that said, grab your alcoholic beverage because it's time to fucking party. Hello, welcome back to the pod. Thank you for having me back over and over again. (laughs) What is this, number four? Four. It's number four. And every time I realized I've recorded at a different place every single time. Really? Yeah. (laughs) The first time I was in my old apartment, it was like right fresh out of like COVID quarantine had started. The second I was dog sitting and I was like at that beautiful country home. Then the third one, I had flown to Florida. That's when I had like a broken foot and got COVID. (laughs) So I was at my mom's. So this one, I was like, I must be in my new place. I can't just go back to a repeating place. (laughs) And your new new apartment. Yeah. Oh, my my God. Sanctuary, my humble abode, my chateau, whatever you want to call it. I love my place. I love it. Yes, it's it's coming together slowly but surely. I just need somebody to replace this awful gold Chinese lantern paper ball that my landlord left behind. <laughs> He's like, you can get rid of that if you want to. I'm like, first thing I bought was a like a light fixture for it, but you got to be handy and no wires in order to set it up. It's not like screwing up a light, light bulb. So it's been there for ever and I just need to pay someone to do it you can't just rip it off the ceiling I mean I could and it'll just be like a sad little light bulb (laughs) but I bought this beautiful lamp fixture somebody to install it yeah exactly like I got it I don't even have a step stool I ripped my curtains I don't know if you saw on my Instagram like I opened them princess style and they like it fell they're still like that I (laughs) fixed them I can't reach I put a a chair try to like fix them and I was like oh I'm too little so they're still like that Dude, the things that you learn and have to do on your own when you live alone, you will fascinate yourself with the things you can accomplish. Like, I lived alone for, I think, five years. I managed to install my own window air conditioner, and that bitch weighed, like, 300 pounds. No. (laughs) I had to, like... On multiple occasions, deal with so many clogged drains. Oh, it was yeah, absolutely foul and disgusting and horrible. 
I remember one time I like threw a bunch of lemon peels down the drain thinking it would resolve and it didn't. And I had to call the handyman. He's like, what the fuck did you throw down the drain? I'm like, lemon peels. He's like, why? Why? That Google said. Oh, my God. So. Yeah, I, I've yeah. decided that I am not a handy person and I don't care to learn. <laughs> I shall pay anybody willing to do all the handy stuff for me. And I'm just hoping I don't need that many things done. Or if you're on a date, you just convince that guy to do it for you. Oh, yeah. I'd be like, do you want to come home with me? And he's going to be like, yeah. I'd be like, okay. I need my TV to be put on the wall. <laughs> yes. No, I literally have done this before. I uh, somehow managed to get a guy to put an entire bike together for me. Nice. Nice. <laughs> Question their masculinity and they're going to be like, ah. Oh. I'm like, yeah, there we go. <laughs> Never saw Did him again after your that. Own drill? Yeah. <laughs> But I enjoyed all the fun uh, beach cruiser trips I had for myself that whole summer. Great. <laughs> a girl's got to eat, you know? <laughs> anyway, welcome back to the pod. I am so excited you're here. We have a very fun episode today. I can't remember if we agreed that we were doing this, but you told me the theme of your woman and I found somebody that's similar. Okay, I was like hoping you remembered that I, I yes. thought that theme would be great. Yes. yes. <laughs> Good. Yes. So we are on theme today Yay. to be talking about two badass women, double agent spies. Yes, women in espionage. That's right. We don't know who each other are covering, but we're both covering women that were involved in this type of scandalous profession. <laughs> I guess I'm, can you it is a profession, right? It is. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, these women were in like well, at least my woman was paid for it. Nice. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Well, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a super French wine. Woo! Uh, <laughs> it's a Cote de Rhone. Um, I went to Paris in October and I just drank all the French wine in the world and I realized it's my favorite kind of wine. Um, so I love Cote d'Iron and I love Bordeaux. So I chose a French wine to match my woman. Um, and it's all in French, but it just says, Domaine, Alorette, Loudon. <laughs> it looks really fancy. That's what I love of French wine, that it doesn't right. matter if it costs eight bucks or 20. Um, you're like, ooh, ooh la la, French wine. And it has, um, a bronze medal, Medaille de Bronze from 2019, so... Hell yeah. It was 13 bucks, and I love it. I usually buy Cote d'Iron's or Bordeaux's, and that's just what I'm drinking. It's red, and it's great. Love it. Love it, love it. Um, so I'm drinking something very exciting because <laughs> it was actually sponsored by a listener who donated to my Buy Me a Mimosa supporter funds oh cool and they picked this out so i went out and you got it bought it which they paid for technically and selected it for me so this is officially my first ever listener recommendation oh i like that bottle it's beautiful so it's called opaline i think and it's a pinot noir sparkling wine and it's from France. Oh, I didn't know there was a Pinot Noir Rosé. Nice. 
Yes. And I haven't opened it because I wanted you to see how cute the whole the bottle it's is. It's beautiful. It looks like a little pineapple. It's so cute. With this blue sparkly top with like a diamond on it and the whole bottle is like textured. It Like I have to turn this into a flower vase, I think. Oh, of course. Even though people keep saying that uh, wine bottles are not home decor. <laughs> Have you well, seen the fuck dude the person that says I, I know. that. I'm like, oh, I'm that person. That's well, okay. that person is boring and lame and has no style and should not be commenting on what's what. Exactly. Also, I don't own flower vases, so. <laughs> My flower vases are large mason jars. Same. My roses right now are in a mason jar. <laughs> so I have not opened this. So oh, we're I'll be quiet for the pop. Yeah. Are we ready? So I'm I've ready. told you about the nun's fart thing, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> we talked about that last <laughs> we, time we when did. I was drinking um, Whispering Angel. That sounds like a, a queef. <laughs> So I'm going to try to open this from my old server days to where it sounds like a nun's fart because rich people, when they order champagne, they're offended if the pop is too loud. So we're taught as servers that we have to open it so delicately and subtly that it just sounds like a nun's fart. Oh, some so, ASMR. I'll be quiet. Listen to this nun's fart and, and then rate me on a one to ten how nun farty it is. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. <laughs> it could have been a nun's fart, but she has IBS. <laughs> oh my god, it also like blew up in my face. It was like way too close to my face when I did that. Well. All right, what do I what what do I get rated as? I want to say that's a good seven. Um. <laughs> All right. Well, I hadn't tried it yet. So, well, cheers. You let me know. Bomb. Great. Great. Absolutely bomb. And also, um, shout out to Kelsey Berry, who sponsored the Opaline Sparkling Rose French Sparkling Wine. Where'd you get it? Trader Joe's. Nice. Oh, so mad at. Jersey doesn't believe in selling liquor in Trader Joe's. Such Fuck a them. I know. That's so lame. Yeah. So, yeah. Shout out KB, Kelsey Berry. She's one of my gal pals, longtime gal pals, <laughs> and um, is sponsoring me to get boozy today on the podcast. So, woo-woo-hoo! <laughs> Love it. All right. Let's do this. Should we get started? Yeah. Let's have All you right. get it off. Okay. So today I'm covering um, the Gestapo's Most Wanted Spies, Virginia Hall, a.k.a. the Limping Lady. Um, <laughs> that's what they called her? That's what they called her. Um, so she was coined the most dangerous of all Allied spies by the Nazis. And you probably haven't heard of her, and you haven't, and you'll end up wondering, like, why? Because she's so badass. But she was one of the most successful spies in history. So it's insane that, like, nobody knows about her, really. And her name's Virginia? Yeah, her name's Virginia Hall. Hall, okay. Yeah. yeah I've never heard of her. Oh, can't wait to tell you all her story. Okay. So Virginia Hall was born on April 6, 1906, in Baltimore, Maryland, to a well-off family. Um, and just like any rich family, uh, Virginia's mother wanted her daughter to marry into money and be a lady of society. 
Mm -hmm. um, but Virginia really was not the dainty young woman her mother, mother hoped for. So, you know, she liked hunting. She liked wearing men's trousers. And she even wore live snakes as bracelets to her school. I know. I didn't want to look into that because I don't like snakes. So I'm like, I'll take her <laughs> Probably like it. those garden snakes. <laughs> the They're real like skinny really, ones. Yeah, the real skinny and small. Still hate them. I will <laughs> run for the hills if that little snake is near me. Mm -mm. Virginia was a highly intelligent woman and spoke many languages. She spoke French, Spanish, German, Russian, and Italian. And she told many of her peers that her dream was to become a, a diplomat. In a big twist, um, one of her biggest supporters was her father, and he paid for her to attend Radcliffe College, which is Harvard's women's college, you know, because back then, they, God forbid, they go to the same university. So, And then she also later attended Bernard, which was Columbia's women's college. At 19 years old, she was set up by her mother to be married to a young man so both families could merge businesses. So it was very Bridgerton. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but you know this fool was never faithful and chose to <laughs> cheat on Virginia often uh, <laughs> this fool this fool um, yeah trash human but turns out that having like a trust fund and an Ivy League education does not make you a good person surprise surprise so after not finding her college classes in America fulfilling and trying to avoid getting married to a garbage human, Virginia, just like any rich kid would, decided, you know, when, when you have an overbearing mother, to decide to fuck right off to Europe and continue studying abroad. Mm -hmm. So while abroad, she studied in France and Germany and Austria and later, uh, later landed a clerk job in Warsaw, Poland in an American embassy at the age of 25. And she was earning approximately $2,000 a year, which is roughly $35,000 now. That's not that bad. Is it? What was, well, what was the time period, though? I mean, I was barely making $37,000 a year in my first job in San well, Francisco. Same, actually. So. <laughs> in 2012 or something. Yeah. So, so that's actually a lot of money. It is a lot of money. Now that I'm thinking about it, it was like it is not bad for her no. if she's making two thousand a year and it's just like roughly thirty five. Not too, Wait, too bad. Two thousand a year. No, yeah, she wasn't making thirty five back then. She oh, was making it two thousand. Got it. Got it. Got it. Got and got they, which is like thirty five. So it's like she okay. was making a, a decent starter salary. Got it. I thought you said she was making thirty five thousand dollars a year in yeah, this girl, time period. No, absolutely. A woman. Like, She's a billionaire. <laughs> yes. She made it. End of story. Got it. Okay. And that's the story of Virginia Hall. Yeah. Done and over with. Yes. No. No. Um, a clerk job was dull and not quite the adventurous job she wished for. So Virginia decided to take the dip diplomat's entrance exam. So I didn't know they had to do an entrance exam. Um, but she took the entrance exam and she scored 100% on the test. Um, and given all the languages she spoke and the Ivy League education and her impressive resume, you think fit for the job, she'll get it right away. Um, but every time she would apply, uh, she, they would tell her that they lost her application, quote unquote, lost her application. Um, but it was no surprise to her because there was a lot of discrimination against women. And um, out of 1,500 U.S. diplomats, only six were women. Wow. Yes. So, you know, Virginia kept trying, and so she decided to transfer to the American embassy in Izmir, Turkey. 
tippy tappies, of course. Um, <laughs> tippy tappies. Just, just gonna tippy tappies all day. Just she's been asleep all day now. Of course, she's gonna tippy tappy all over my apartment. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Um, Virginia decided to transfer to the American embassy in Izmir, Turkey, where she hoped to jump the many hurdles to become a, a diplomat. But unfortunately, that all came to an halt rather quickly. On December 2nd, Virginia headed out for one of the many day sports hunting that she would do with friends, so she liked hunting. And while trying to jump over a wired fence, she slipped and fell, and while trying to grab her shotgun, she fired her 12-gauge shotgun and accidentally shot herself point-blank on the left foot. Oh, no! Yes. Yeah, so... Her friends rushed to her aid to try to stop the bleeding with like a makeshift tourniquet and, you know, got her to a hospital nearby. And the doctors in Turkey were like, oh, she's doing fine. She's stable. They sent word to Washington, D.C. Remember, she worked for an American embassy, so they had to notify Washington, D.C. of her accident. So they were like, oh, no, she's doing fine. Everything's going to be great. But um, they did not realize there was an infection seeping in through her wound because she fell in a swampy area. So there was a lot of infection that could have happened. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. mold and shit and like I'll bacteria. spare you all the details oh that I God. read. On Christmas Day, her condition began to deteriorate and Virginia was taken to an American hospital in Istanbul. But after a 24-hour train journey... Um, by the time she got there, her foot was all swollen and nearly black uh, because gangrene had taken a hold of her leg and spreading rather quickly. Ugh. And considering that back then they didn't have antibiotics, if the gangrene and the infection spread through her organs, like they would shut down. So they had to act quickly and decided to amputate Virginia's leg from the knee down. And she was only 27 years old. Oh my god that is so horrible also did they have like the proper medication to like numb her cut off a leg yeah i don't i'm sure i read about it and fully forgot about it because i'm gagging reading about it and what sucks is that this wasn't the first of many amputations she had to have because <gasps> as like it was below the knee and then more issues started happening so i had to cut more amputate not cut oh my god oh uh, they had to a- amputate more and more and more so it was like near her hip towards the end <gasps> oh my god yeah and she was giving a prosthetic wooden leg because that's the technology back then didn't exist so it was a wooden leg peg leg um and she named it cuthbert she named her peg leg cuthbert yeah and <laughs> please remember who cuthbert is because i'm gonna bring it up again <laughs> Um, so if Virginia faced discriminations before us for being a woman, um, trying to get into the embassy, being a disabled woman now, really just her chances of becoming a diplomat were slim to none, but she still never gave up and she still continued to try to become a diplomat in many different countries. She just kept trying and applying and applying, but there was no room for somebody with a disability because yeah. they said diplomats, aside from every, like languages and everything, they would have to be agile. For what? I don't know. I don't. Do you ever see a diplomat run like <laughs> from? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, what did I, I when I think of diplomat, I think somebody that's like sitting behind a desk. Absolutely. Same. <laughs> so I again, I there's just discrimination. It was discrimination overall. Uh. 
So we're going to fast forward to 1940s. Virginia is still living in Europe. She still was trying to make it, you know, as a diplomat, still failing, but still trying to make something out of her life. Um, so she's in her 30s and she's living in Europe. And that's the beginning of World War II. So she felt compelled to help in any way that she could. So she joined the French 9th Artillery Regiment as an ambulance driver with a peg leg. Nonetheless, it's her left foot. So, you know, but still could drive. But yeah. Um, this is a job that many men had and would give up or quit halfway through because just like picking up wounded soldiers, etc. became too like much for them to bear. But Virginia still did it without questions. And the rumor has it is like they probably didn't notice that she had a fake leg. Otherwise, she wouldn't have never gotten the job. So they she was able to they didn't ask questions, yeah. basically. So not short after, Nazi Germany occupied France, forcing Virginia to flee through the Pyrenees Mountains between Spain and France through a trail known as Le Chemin La Liberté, which translates to the Freedom Trail, um, which is roughly 44 miles with elevations of 6,000 feet. And many who tried to escape through the mountains uh, were captured by the Germans. And these were people that were able-bodied. And so imagine she's alone walking through 45,000 miles, 6,000 feet with a prosthetic leg. How is that even possible? Exactly. But she made it through over to London. And despite the pain that she felt from her wooden leg, Virginia managed to climb through the trails undetected and eventually made it to London. And upon arrival, she was given a phone number by a handsome young man um, telling her that if she was seeking to assist with the war, to call that number. Uh, she assumed there was another ambulance job, but to her surprise, it was an invitation to join a meeting with the Special Operation Executives, um, also known as SOE. And that SOE was a top British agency Churchill had launched in order to set, and I quote, Europe ablaze. Um so she took the meeting and Virginia was immediately accepted into SOE after impressing all the officers that she met with. And she quickly began training in weapons, sabotage, disguise, and espionage. Under the codename Germain, and it's going to get between Germans, Germain, and there's another Germain in the story. I'm like, why are we all using the same name here? But anyways, <laughs> <laughs> um, so she was using the name code, codename Germain. Hall was soon sent back to France to collect intelligence on German operations there and to help organize and arm the French resistance. So she went to France and she would pose as a New York Post reporter. She was American, so she was like, I'm an American reporting on the war. So she was able to sort of disguise herself and pass through. And nobody thought that a woman, nevertheless, a woman with a disability would ever be a spy. So nobody would really suspect her. Totally. Um, yeah, so she set up the big operation and started like, giving back information to the British under the name Heckler, in all caps. I'm not sure if that stands for something, but every time I read about it, it was in all caps. Heckler, <laughs> like how somebody would heckle like a comedy show? Yeah. Like, like that heckler. word? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> so she started Heckler, and she was based in Lyon, France. Um, Virginia was under immense danger, you know, the entire time. She's still like a lot of the... Um, they sent about 400 SOE agents to France, and about 25% of them did not return. They were captured, yeah. killed, or disappeared. So 
Virginia started to create a lot of German enemies, of course, and the Nazis were soon trailing behind her and plastered her face all over France, naming her the enemy's most dangerous of spies. And they called her the, the limping lady, and they could not wait to capture that Canadian bitch, even oh. though she's not Canadian. <laughs> That's what they said? Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So Virginia became the number one enemy for the Germans. And she also was a was to be a pioneer for a whole new type of warfare. So this included joining forces with a brothel owner named Germaine and also nuns from La Moutelier. So she was like having troubles forming alliances with two different moral spectrums. So she's got her brothel yeah. spies and her nun spies, um, which I love. <laughs> Germaine, the brothel owner, was to become one um, an unlikely pillar of Virginia's entire Lyon operation. Her brothel was so popular among German soldiers, placing her in a strategic position to extract information through the prostitutes she employed. Um, Germaine also helped undermine Nazis by spreading sexually transmitted diseases amongst the German patrons. Um, Germaine partnered with an allied gynecologist and they were able to manipulate manipulate records that say that said that infected girls were actually clean. Oh my god. I know. How smart is that though? It's smart and it's gnarly. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. Like, okay, wait, hold on. The girls that were that did have STDs, they knew that they were sleeping with these Nazis with the intent to pass disease to them? Yes. So my assumption is that here that you had to have some sort of proof from a doctor that says like, oh, you're clean. Yeah. So this doctor is like, I'm an ally. Fuck these guys. I'm going to fake a clean certificate and you're just going to give these motherfuckers gonorrhea and whatnot. That is Syphilis. wild. <laughs> yeah. It's a whole new type of warfare. Yeah. You're not in the army. You're not in battle. So, like, how can you prevent the Nazis from moving forward? And she thought STDs. Oh, my God. (laughs) Oh, my God. Isn't it nuts? Wait, Virginia thought this up? Or the the brothel woman? Virginia concocts, like, this. She's just, like, got this plan together with Jermaine. She was like, how can we stop them? That is nuts. And since a lot of German patrons love Germaine, they were like offering her like gas for cars and like food and stuff. So they were using the gas for cars to help like rescue and hide Jewish neighbors and friends and get them help them flee. So it was a whole operation heckler. But ger- the Germans weren't aware that the brothel owner and her brothel's women were anti-Nazi. No, of course not. Because she serviced anybody. So yeah. the, on the, the pretense, and Virginia first was a little bit hesitant to work with Germaine, thinking, you you favor and you service the Germans. How can I trust you? And then totally. later on, took that to her advantage of like, oh, they like you. Let's continue that trust and work against them. Oh, Which later on, I read that Germaine and the gynecologist were both captured by the Germans. Um, and eventually, they were sent to concentration camps. But thankfully, they both survived. So Whoa. they did not die. Um, yeah, they survived. Wow. I don't even know how. But that's the extent of Germaine's help that I read about. And I think it's like mind-fucking-blowing. 
I need. I want to like know more about her. I know, and there's not much about Jermaine. I looked her up too. I'm like next episode, and Jermaine Guerin, Guerin, G U R E I N. I want to say. Interesting. All right. Yeah. I want to. I need to. Oh yeah. I do see that. I need to know more about this. Yeah. Okay. So. A French priest and informant suspected Virginia's heckler operation and so kind of ratted her out. Virginia took word of this and so she decided to flee towards Spain and she started walking 50 miles again through the Pyrenees one more time, but in the rough of winter. So this is the second time this woman's doing this trail. Um, So Virginia barely had 24 hours head start from the Nazis during her journey Um, and during her journey, she sent a message. She had time to send a message back to London. And she said that Cuthbert was giving her some trouble. And then I guess they didn't realize that she had named her leg Cuthbert. So they're like, they replied and said, if Cuthbert is troublesome, eliminate him. (laughs) (laughs) He's already been eliminated. She's like, um, I can't if without him, I'm nothing. (laughs) They're like, shoot that motherfucker. We don't need oh, him. Oh, <laughs> my God. I know. Soon after she made it into Spain, um, after fleeing France, she was jailed for illegally entering a country, which to me is so wild. Like, people are going to illegally enter your country. It, there's a war. Why are you being like this? But alas, she was sent to jail. Um, and we don't, I don't know how long she spent in jail. Some people say it was a much-needed rest she needed. Um <laughs> Um, she was in no danger. She was protected, you know, by the no Germans were going to get to her. So she was released after making some phone calls to American embassies. And um, but after she was released, she was compromised or considered compromised by the SOE. So they're like, you can't continue working for us as a spy. So she decided to join the Office of Strategic Strategic Services, known as the OSS, which eventually became to what is now known as the CIA. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she was one of the first women to join the CIA. That's nuts. Nuts. So Virginia took her limp as an aide in disguise since her face was now so easily recognizable because she was like plastered on posters all over France by the Nazis. So she dyed her hair gray, pulled it up into a bun, and with her limp, she could resemble an old French peasant woman. So they thought she was an old lady. Um, and she would deliver milk and cheese to German camps and the Nazis, they're like, who's this old lady? She probably doesn't even speak German. So they would openly talk about warfare plans and strategy in front of her in German. And since she spoke German, she was able to get a lot of information by doing that. That, like, you would just think during this freaking wartime, you would suspect anybody and all people. Like, how were the Nazis getting duped so easily? <laughs> so easily, I know. Well, also, isn't there that conspiracy that they were all doped up on drugs throughout the entire war? Uh, like, it's not isn't conspiracy. They're 100% aware. <laughs> how do you... Was how it, like, Hitler, like, a meth head? Yeah. <laughs> I think they were all doing, like, speed or something to, like, stay awake <laughs> over 24 hours. But, like, not just the Nazis. I think, like, everybody during that World War Two. it's just, like, how do you... Sleep was... A privilege. Yeah, right. You know, it's it, so sleeping was minimum. So how else do you stay awake? Drugs. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I think you get to a point that espresso will just not do it. So mm-hmm. 
Um, so that's how she was able to get a lot of German information. Um, and throughout 1944, Virginia's Hall and her men, she had a group of people because she was now working for the CIA, so she was in command. So Virginia Hall's men cut 16 railway lines, derailed eight trains, blew up four railway railway bridges, cut telephone wires in the area, and killed eight Germans while, su- while suffering just 12 casualti- casualties themselves. And this was all under her command. She was fucking shit up. She was running it. And like I said, like I could give details into every single minute of them blowing them shit up and, and their decisions to do it, but it... It just would need two hours to talk about her life. It's just totally. so interesting. So um, that was just some of the work that she was doing under the CIA and her, her aliases and under the command of the American spies team. Um, so after the war ended, Virginia Hall was awarded the French Croix de Guerre and the American Distinguished Service Cross, making her the only female civilian to receive one of such medal during Second World War. Although very prestigious, she requested that the ceremony was held in secret and did not want pictures plastered across newspapers in case that she wanted to return to spy work. So after the war ended, she was given all these prestigious awards and she said, no thanks, Um, I don't want anybody to know. Yeah, right? (laughs) I'm not a hero, I'm a spy. I'm nobody. Very Jason Bourne of her. Mm -hmm. Um, And so at age 44, Virginia got married to a fellow spy named Paul Goyot. And they both worked in their new aliases in Italy for a while for the CIA, just keeping track on, you know, communism, etc. Um, Virginia finally retired at the age of 60, but she never talked about her missions and work and she declined interviews. Um, and this is why we don't know much about her because she never really talked about any of her work and nobody really did. And really, when asked why she wouldn't talk about her work, Virginia said, many of my friends were killed for talking too much. Yeah, so she just learned to zip it up. Yeah, we don't talk about Bruno. You don't want to die, so. (laughs) And then in 1982, Virginia died at the age of 76 um, in Maryland, and there's no sort of reason how or why she died. 76, I'm guessing, old age. Yeah. Having survived so much. But um, a fun fact is many, many years later, a CIA agent sort of read Virginia's story on, like, everything that she did. So his name is Craig R. Grelly. Oh, God. His name is Craig. Um, and he felt inspired to retrace Virginia's steps through the Freedom Trail in the Pyrenees and to see what it was like to walk through the mountains in her footsteps and follow up. And as an able-bodied man, he stumbled many, many times and nearly fell to his death a few times. So just put that into perspective that this woman with a peg leg was able to do twice. That is really fascinating. Yeah. And it also just makes you think that, like, like on a spiritual level, <laughs> like, she was, like, obviously put here to, like, get shit done. So it was going to happen one way or another. She knew what she wanted from the beginning. She said, I'm not going to marry this bitch-ass dude at 19 because he has money. He's a piece of shit. I'm out. And she was so lucky to have a father that supported her. I left this out because I didn't know how much time I would have to talk about her, but Virginia did fall in love with a Polish soldier while in Poland. 
um, briefly went back to America and her and she was engaged to him and her parents were like, mm, no, that's a, some peasant boy. Like, we're cool and we're not that cool. Yeah. So she broke off with the engagement with him and when she was back in Poland working, she tried to look for him but rumor has it that he probably was dead because Aww. when the Germans invaded Poland, he was a soldier and most likely had died. Um, so that was the extent of like her romance until she married at 44 and then again... Not a lot. Um, on the book that I read about her life, the biography is called The Woman of No Importance, which is a great title, um, by Sonia Purnell. In the prologue, she talks about how difficult it was to find information about her, and she felt like almost Virginia did not want to be found. Yeah. And this author, thankfully, spoke French, and she was able to, le- to read a lot of records. And she's still honored in Lyon, France. There's a statue of her there, but there's really no memory of Virginia Hall into the World War II history, even though she helped so much with the French resistance, and she helped London and the CIA. That is weird. Very weird. She didn't want to be known. She didn't want to, to like delete the records and yeah. you know, just on her code, like many of my friends died for talking too much. She maybe yeah. felt like if it got out there, somebody could take revenge or totally. And maybe also a part of her just being like, this was the chapter of my life and like the, mm-hmm. it ended and like the book closed. Yeah. So that is Virginia Hall. There's so many great stories in that book that I wish I could tell forever, but I think her story was just absolutely captivated me. Totally. That a disabled woman was able to do so much. Well, so is this book, uh, was it, did it's it a include many different stories of different people that were spies? No. So I stumbled upon this biography about Virginia Hall because I had read a historical fiction book called The Alice Network, and it's about female spies during World War II, and one of the main characters was like a real spy in France, but and she was on my list, but there's like, if there's barely anything about Virginia Hall, there's even less about this woman. So I wasn't able to find much about her, but then Goodreads was like, if you like The Alice Network, read this book. And then I thought it was a biography, and then I had read a sample, and I thought, this is so cool, but I never really read it, and just recently thought, I should just read the whole book. It's really interesting, and Uh it just goes into detail about her blowing up railways, her partnering with Germaine, her partnering with the nuns, um, all all her details of, like, men being dropped off, you know, in parachutes, and she had to walk places, whereas men were just, like, thrown off planes, Mm -hmm. how a lot of men that were going through the SOE training would quit halfway in panic or they were just too weak to go through the training. And this is a woman with a wooden leg beat out all these men to become a spy. Yeah, it really is insane when you look into history and see how many women were participating in the war in some Mm -hmm. capacity because you do not hear much about that in modern history but just even several of the women i've covered on this show were pilots or they were double agents and um you know it's just that's not something that you hear much about when you're looking into world war one or even world war two it's not like Mm -hmm. all the women that fucking fucked shit up like it's just not a thing no you hear world war two and you're like the women of the war and you think of 
and Frank, unfortunately. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's to me crazy. And it, it sort of ties back to me when talking about Audrey Hepburn, mm-hmm. how she also, in a way, like, did her part. And everybody totally. all over Europe did even the most minimal of helping and aid was considered a grateful move. Mm-hmm. Just giving people ration cards, hiding your Jewish neighbors, giving people food, giving German officers diseases. Like it all became very helpful throughout the war. And, you know, and for her, it just became like it was never a second thought, even though her poor mother begged her to come home many a times. Oh, man. Well, that is fascinating. I'm like cracking up because even though we both covered spies, my woman is so much less humble than yours. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That is hilarious. Um quick question in the original book that you read, what was it called again? The Alice Network. Yeah, did the name Noor in Yat Khan come up at all? No, it doesn't sound familiar. It was mostly like French names and they all had flower names like Lily and Violet. Oh, Oh, interesting. It's a great book. If you like historical fiction, I think like it's a great read. Okay, cool. Because, yeah, um, I covered Noor like, I don't know, a year ago at this point. But she was an SOE agent also. And I just remember one of the things I learned was that basically when she – what like got put into the SEO or SOE and was under training, they basically like communicated to her and everybody else that was under training, you'll maybe live for six weeks. A hundred percent. They were like, your chance of live survival once we drop you off from France is 50%. Yeah. So 50-50 chance, girl. Go do you. Yeah. And to, just like to be told that and to be like, all right, throw me in, throw me in boss. Like, Right. I just that was like uh, I could not get past the like courage and the dedication and the like loyalty that you are serving for the greater good. Like in order to fight against evil, you literally they signed up to die. Like, yeah, I mean, the chances of them living were be, they were told basically zero. <laughs> like you might like you'll probably die in six weeks. Best case scenario, you live longer than that, <laughs> but you will die. You're cool. And they're like, yeah, well, this is why a lot of the men like would panic halfway through and couldn't do it. Um, and one of Virginia's jobs also in all, every SOE agent, just the way that Virginia was recruited by talking to a handsome stranger on a train. Um, her job was to recruit people. So she would recruit doctors, pilots, um, bakers, whomever, nuns brothel workers Mm -hmm. they all were being recruited by virginia to join the soe and help and aid in one way or another totally and then like the other thing that i love in your story in Noor and yet Khan's story and in the woman's whose story i'm about to tell they were all double agents and they were all overlooked for reasons that are just hilarious. Like, so one dumb. being a woman was, like, one reason for them to be overlooked is, like, oh, you could never pull this off. But, like, Virginia having a disability. Oh, she – how could she possibly be a spy? She ha- has a disability. Um, You know, she has one leg. Like, how could she possibly, like, do this? That's what they thought for so many months. Like, oh, yeah. limping woman? <laughs> yeah, she's just a reporter. There's absolutely no way. Yeah. And Norin Yat Khan, she was an uh, Indian pacifist. 
who came from like a religious background and they were like a pacifist would never be involved in the war in war <laughs> and she, you know she was and then my woman has her own reasons as well which are really funny but it's just it's hilarious when you look at that and see the reasons as to why they were overlooked and not taken seriously i mean thank god they weren't taken seriously because they were able to make they were able to really fuck shit up for the Germans, and that's exactly what we needed. Yeah. But it's also just hilarious at how f- freaking stupid the Germans were to just overlook all of these women spies who, lo and behold, outsmarted all of them and went on to like conquer and succeed in more ways than the Germans even could ever think possible. It's like, joke's right. on you, idiot. Yeah, you fools. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that's my woman. I love it. Yeah. I'm so excited. I love having these stories on this podcast. It's just <sighs> <Me> like <too. laughs> I love the best. I love the concept and idea of spies. Like I mentioned Jason Bourne earlier and I'm like uh-huh. those movies I fucking love anything that's spy work. So the fact that there's real spies out there, I'm like give me more. Totally. I love it. Yeah. Well, I've got a really interesting story for you today. <laughs> Yay. Um, I am also covering a spy, uh, but my woman's a little bit different. <laughs> I'm going to butcher her last name. I feel like you're better at pronouncing French language than me. Okay. So please correct me if you know the proper way to Maybe. say this. It only gets French at the end. But today I'm covering <laughs> Elvira de la Fuente Chadois. Okay. The last name spelled C-H-A-U-D-O-I-R. Chadois. Yeah. Oh, then I nailed it. Chadois. Chadois. Yeah, that's what I thought. I, for a second, I thought you were going to cover Coco Chanel. No. I, I've had Coco Chanel on the list for a long time, but I've not covered Coco Chanel just because I've heard some really- She's problematic. Much- she was his yes. more than Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, so, that's like, I mean, it's not. I mean- and I don't I will still cover her, but I feel like it would have to be for a specific themed episode where we're like acknowledging Yeah that her story in itself <laughs> is very tragic. I think her storyline is sad. And if you remove the Nazi part, you're like feel for her and you're yeah. like, you did great, but then anyways, it's not about her. <laughs> tell, <laughs> tell me more about Elvira. <laughs> Step aside, Coco. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, yeah. So Elvira, or maybe it is Elvira. I don't know. I just said Elvira because I know that like that like witch lady's name is Elvira. Right. In Spanish, I would say Elvira, but in Elvira. English, it's Elvira. So. so it probably is Elvira because she was Peruvian. Oh, I'm 100% Elvira. Okay, so Elvira. Um, <laughs> so Elvira was born in either 1910. Oh, sorry. Let me give you a little background. So okay. Elvira was a Peruvian socialite. And she was also a double agent for the British Secret Intelligence Service during World War II. And the reason why she sparked a lot of, like, chaos is because she was bisexual. Wait. Okay. First of all, I love that she's Peruvian because there's such a small, like, country. I feel like they don't... <laughs> this, I, my mind's already blown. Tell me right. more. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, and she has got... A hilarious story. <laughs> um, so Elvira was born in 1910 or 1911 
Uh, we aren't sure. <laughs> and we actually aren't sure. I, I'm guessing she was born in Peru, but I couldn't actually find that information anywhere. They only brought up the fact that she was raised in Paris, France. Um, so birthplace, like, undetermined, I guess. But her father was a wealth, uh, a wealthy Peruvian businessman who was in the fertilizer industry. And he was also a diplomat working as an ambassador in France. Oh, my God. I know. Um, we don't know anything about Elvira's mom. I read not one word about her in either of, like, the two different things I was looking at for research. Uh, so no clue what happened to the mom. But um, she did. I'm, yeah, I'm guessing she was she died probably really early on because what I read was that Elvira was raised by her father and she grew up living a very privileged lifestyle, attending all of the best private schools where she learned how to speak fluent French, English, and Spanish. So she was your typical rich kid. She was educated, spoiled, and completely rebellious. <laughs> Oh my God, her and Virginia would have been best friends. (laughs) So when she was 23 years old, Elvira ran off to Brussels and married a Belgian stockbroker named Jean Chadoy. Oh, I fucked that one up that time. (laughs) Jean Chadoir. Chadois. Chadois. Jean Chadois. And their four-year marriage was a complete disaster. Because rumor had it, Elvira was banging every man and woman in a 10-foot radius. Yeah. And just getting her best, like, non-monogamous life, which was obviously a surprise to Jean, who thought they were in a monogamous marriage. No. And so um, her scandalous affairs were a bit of a problem, and they eventually split up. So once again, she ran off, uh, this time with her best friend, Romy Ghibli, and they took off to Cannes, France in 1938. Con. Con. I know. <laughs> it's. No S? No, it's pronounced Con. Right. Con, France in 1938. And the two of them proceeded to raise hell, and they went on a party spree where they drank, banged, and gambled all of their money away. I love them. Does it just sound like chaos? Yeah, especially like that time to do that. Like back then, that's extra, extra, extra scandalous. Totally. Um, yeah, they were a shocking sight to see. Oh, my God. And so they were just, like, living their best lives. And then a year later, in 1939, the Germans began invading France. But Elvira wasn't too concerned because she was just blacked out (laughs) 24-7 and assumed that the war wouldn't affect her because she was a rich girl. And, like, she didn't live real life. She just was hitting up the casinos and, like, you know, on party mode. But she also owed a lot of people money because she (laughs) was not a good gambler, despite the fact that all she did was gamble. (laughs) She lost a lot of money and people were like coming at her to be like, yo, pay the fuck up. Like, I think it was starting to get like dangerous. Like, you know, people were probably coming up to her in dark alleys with like a knife being like, where's my money? So shit wasn't like going that well. 
But of course, she like didn't have the money to pay them because she was broke and in debt from gambling all of her money away. So she just fled again and this time went to England to start a new life there. We're hoping that like no one would know where she was and she wouldn't have to like pay off her debt to any of the people that were demanding her money. So while in England, she just went back to doing what she does best, shuffling between bars and casinos, losing at every table, and complaining about how she couldn't secure a legit job because she thought that she was like being discriminated against for being Peruvian. I don't know if that's true or not, but that was what she claimed is why she couldn't get a real job. She's not so. building a good case against herself as a hard worker that's rising. No. 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 So at some point in the casino, she was overheard complaining about her debt by a guy who was also there. He was Lieutenant Colonel Claude Edward Marger Banks Danzy. Shut the- Oh, wait. Hold How many names was that? One more time. That was 20 names. Lieutenant Colonel Claude Edward Marjorie Banks Danzy. So like five to six names? One, two, three, four names, I think. And then all the titles. The the Lieutenant Colonel and then four names after that. Jesus Christ. So I just only call him Lieutenant Danzy moving forward, as I'm <laughs> yes. sure you can imagine. No, pick your favorite name and carry it on. Yeah. So he was gambling and overheard her and, like, obviously saw her because she just stood out like a sore thumb. Um, And so he heard her complaining about being in debt and not being able to get a job. And he was the assistant chief of M16, which was the British Secret Service Agency. They called themselves the M16. So after, uh, so he basically like approached her and was like, yo, I heard you're broke. And he offered her a job to work for the British Secret Service as a double agent. And Elvira uh, Elvira immediately accepted. But like you might be sitting here and being like, why on earth would he be offering her a job to work in the Secret Service during the war when all he's seen is a wild hooligan, you know, blowing all her money on the casino, complaining about being in debt, not being able to get a job. And like, how how does he see that and is like, oh, she's perfect for a double agent? My theory is one, no one will suspect her or two, he just wanted to bang her. Well, (laughs) there are three reasons why. (laughs) One of them's correct. So great. She basically had a couple of great traits for a spy. The first most important trait was that she had a Peruvian passport, which allowed her to travel during wartime because her father was a diplomat. So that brings back to what you had said in your story where you're like, why did Virginia get arrested for like going to a different country? They weren't like allowed to be hopping around during this time period. And the only people that were were people that were in like a dip, like, I guess, like a connected to. So they basically said the reason why Elvira was able to was because because her dad was a diplomat. She was able to say, oh, I'm visiting him yeah. here, there and here and there. Duh, so they were questioned for traveling. And that's why Virginia was released because she had ties to the to the American embassy. Even though she had quit, she no longer had any ties to the embassy. 
Oh my God, that makes so much sense. Yeah. Carry on. Yes. So that's reason why one, they were interested in her was because of her Peruvian passport. Two, she had a reputation for being a party girl who cared about absolutely nothing other than booze and betting. <laughs> and three, she was completely broke and had nothing to lose. And Damn. so they were like, she's perfect. Oh, fuck. <laughs> That's so sad. I know. It's really sad. It's uh, hilarious and sad. Um, So basically, Lieutenant Danzy came up with a plan that Elvira would allow herself to be recruited by the Germans so that she could provide false information to them on behalf of M16. So they basically, the plan was that they were going to send her off to France and she would engage in what they called coat trailing. And that was an intelligent strategy of placing a promising recruit in a position to be recruited by the other side. Huh. So they're like placing oh. her into a specific area that they knew Germans would be, making her appear desirable as like somebody they'd want to recruit. And then they would recruit her without realizing she was already working for the other side. The double so, agent. Yes. It was like a strategy that they called coat trailing. And um, so, yeah, that was the game plan. So basically, she agreed and went through extensive secret agent spy training. She was taught how to use invisible ink so that she could send reports hidden within like harmless letters uh, back and was forth. Was it with urine? Was Invisible ink. Oh, Virginia, I didn't left this part out, but she used her urine to write messages because it came out like it was invisible but it would come up with heat ew (laughs) that is disgusting i'm sure your girl was using the same thing how was she was she you pee in a cup you dip your pen and you write oh okay i was like how is she aiming with her vagina (laughs) listen my sister thought the same thing it's not like when men write their name on snow Girls can't do that. It goes everywhere. No, like you, I guess I'm messing and peeing in a cup and then use a little that bit. That is so gross. And I read nothing about pee. But how else would you get invisible ink in that time and age? It's not like we have all this technology. I don't know. I just assumed they had invisible ink. <laughs> My money's on pee. Oh, that is so gross. Okay, carry on. <laughs> All right, pee and or invisible ink. Yeah. Uh, she learned how to write letters with, and she was given her first code name. It was Cyril. So once she was ready to rock, Elvira took off on her mission back to Cane. Can. Can. Cannes, France, and by the spring of 1941, she was approached by a dark-haired man in a bar named Henry Chauvel, who had a French accent but was very clearly German. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just picture like Lumiere from Beauty the Beast, like bonjour. Yeah, <laughs> like he had like a German accent but was speaking French. Oh my god! You know, uh, God, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You know what? Uh, Inglorious Bastards, that movie with Brad yeah. Pitt. Uh huh. <laughs> my favorite scene's like. Asking for third best Italian, and then introducing the sis like these are the Italian. He's like Buongiorno. <laughs> yes, that's basically what this dude. That's did. what he did. Yeah, yes. 
And they like put her in this bar because they knew it was like a German hangout. So she like knew whoever she was going to be running into was German. So she kind of like a cool French accent, bro. Like she knew them. So she met him. And then he ended up introducing her to a different man named Helmut Blyle, uh, who went by the name BB. It's easier to say, so we'll just do that. Um, And he also spoke French and had a German accent. So they went on several dates together. Like they, he basically, they basically recording her in this bar, like interested in her. The three of them went in a a throuple. So I think what happened was the first guy. Was interested in her, but then probably was like passed her off to the next guy who's involved with recruiting and was like, she's hot, like take her out on some dates, but also like maybe consider her for recruitment. <laughs> so the second guy started dating her and they went on like on a bunch of dates together and he eventually cracked and made the comment that she could make great money by providing political and financial information about Britain to his friends, quote, friends, who he could not name. But he had these friends who um, could really benefit greatly from about uh, information from Britain. She could make a lot of money giving them information. And so, lo and behold, without surprise, this dude was a wealthy Nazi collaborator and his friends, who could not be named, were known as the Abwehr, I, a German word. Yeah, I read about that German group, and I also was like, that name's complicated. We're going to leave yeah. it out, and we're going to call them all Nazis. <laughs> yes, exactly. It's some Nazi group, but yeah. I, uh, their definition is that they were a German military intelligence service that operated under the Nazi regime. So, yes, group of Nazis. So, yeah, she basically hit the jackpot in terms of Spy World, did not hit the jackpot in terms of the dating pool, but um, she landed with the Germans. They officially recruited her and they gave her the name Dorette and they arranged for her to receive $100 a month uh, that was disguised as alimony payments from her ex-husband. And they also agreed to pay off her gambling debts and cover expenses for luxury items. Oh, my God. Because, you know, she was like, are you going to buy me a purse? Are you going to buy me a new <laughs> hairstyle? Like, she was just, like, getting as much money out of these, you know. As, she didn't yeah. have to live her fab life. Like, Fuck it. If you're going to risk your life, might as well get the purse. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So they, too, gave her a bottle of invisible ink. That she was to use in letters to send back to Henry, who would then pass them on to Bibi. So she was bringing, like, both these German dudes. They worked together. Bibi was, like, the boss. Henry was, like, the assistant. So she was just working with both of them and shuffling information through the two. Now, unbeknownst to her German employers, this officially made Elvira a member of the XX, also known as the Double Cross. And that's a team of English agents spying on the germans from within their own ranks so there was a name for them and they didn't even know that existed or that she was one of them uh but they turned her into that without knowing which is just hilarious so once they thought they had their spy they were like off you know off to go collect information so she had straight back to england to tell the m16 like all right they recruited me i'm in and so they did like a debriefing with her to like find out what she learned, who she met, da 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 da, and then they passed her off to the M15, 
just like a different service group um, to have those people put her, like sign her up as like an official double agent. So the M15s did an investigation into her background, which was like a requirement to like officially sign her up as a double agent since she'd sealed the deal with the Germans. But her history brought up a lot of concerns because they were learning about her, quote, lesbian tendencies. And her reputation of being a frivolous, spendthrift socialite with a colorful sex life. Oh, my God. We're like, we're at war and you could be a spy, but my God, do not be a lesbian. (laughs) (laughs) That is crossing the line. (laughs) Yeah, it's completely hilarious, ridiculous, horrible, so stupid. Like, get a fucking life. We have bigger fish to fry. (laughs) So the M15 investigation ended up concluding that she is merely a member of international smart gambling and that she would not pose an issue after all. So there were several people that objected to this, but she ended up passing the test and they added her on as the double cross system or they added her to the double cross system team on October 28th, 1942. And they gave her a new code name Bronx, which was named after her favorite cocktail. <laughs> what? What's that cocktail? Have I you looked, Googled it? I did. It's like oh. a gin martini with like an orange peel. Yeah, girl. I know. I was like, I was going to drink that for this, but then KB sponsored my bottle of champagne. So I do love a gin martini, but with olives. Yeah. And it looked strong. It was like just gin with like an orange peel. Like, you know, when you like rub it on the rim and just like let it flow. Yeah. yeah. It'll just, it's (sighs) martinis are just chilled shots. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. It, I was like, and then, then I did read though that you could splash some OJ in it. But still, like I don't know, gin and orange juice doesn't sound on a Sunday. No, yeah. Um. So next time. (laughs) Uh. So then, yeah. So she was she was off to the races to officially become a double agent. So the M15 group tapped Elvira's phone. uh, For two reasons, they wanted to monitor her to make sure that like she wasn't like switching back to the German like wasn't switching sides for real right like they were like betrayal yeah like cool like how do we know you actually hate the Nazis so they were like like making but that makes sense though you have a double agent so then you're like you don't know totally how doubly double it's gonna work out and like are they double aging you or them it's a fair mess yeah Yeah, so they were doing that, and then they were also doing it to keep an eye on her financial situation. I don't know what that's all about, but they, like, wanted to make sure she wasn't spending her life away, as she does. (laughs) And so Elvira was writing letters to the Germans in invisible ink with, like, half-truths, propaganda, fake quotes from, like, people that really existed. So she was just, like, funneling all kinds of bullshit over to the Germans through these invisible inked letters and one of her letters which really changed the game with the war was that she had claimed that the british had made excellent preparations to defend against gas warfare and that they were stockpiling large amounts of chemical weapons for retaliation this was all a lie and not true but by her sending this message 
to the Germans, it's believed that it helped dissuade them from using poison gas against England. Oh, my God. Because they then were like, oh, well, they're already prepared to, like, nuclear war us back. So let's not fuck with them. Rumor mill. Like, it's a rumor, but, oh, my God, the persuasion. (laughs) Right? She literally stopped the Germans from, like, nuking England by basically saying, like, they have so much. They're so prepared. Like, don't fuck with it because they've got more than, like, we've the Germans have. So it, they, like, backed down from and the plan. And nobody questioned it? Nobody like, fucking like questioned nobody anything. Nobody questioned it. Yes. Yes, nobody questioned it because they didn't question her. Because the Germans How trusted. How could they? They How trusted they Elvira. Party girl Elvira or peg-legged Virginia. <laughs> Yes. How could they possibly? Yeah. They were like, oh, she's with us. No doubt. Like, they didn't doubt for one minute that Elvira wasn't 100% pro-Nazi. Yeah, my God. So they believed that what she was, the information she was funneling to them was 100% true. (laughs) Wild, right? I have no words. Just idiots. So, um, and they actually were quoted to say, like, this was witnessed in, like, letters they were doing back and forth, that the Germans literally wrote to her that you are one of our most reliable agents. So the British were seeing this, like, loyalty and were like, fuck yes. Like, (laughs) she's duping all of them. And in addition, like, the Germans knew that there was an invasion on the horizon. They were like, we're going to be attacked any day. We feel it coming. Like, it's about to happen. So they asked Elvira to, like, dig in, nosy about, and find out any information she could on a potential attack and, like, send the information back to the Germans. And, like, for whatever reason, like, the letter process wasn't available i don't i couldn't really understand why it was like super confusing in the research i was reading but like she wasn't able to send a letter or like people were getting nosy about the letters and like catching that they were like sending invisible inked letters so she instead like sent a code through bank deposits and was able to communicate the time and location of a planned attack Honestly, it's confusing. I didn't really understand it, but that's what happened. And so she lied and was like, at this time, in this location, the Allies will be attacking the Germans. And she told them that they were definitely 100% going to be coming from the Bay of Biscay and that they should move all of their troops over to the Bay and get ready for the plant, this attack that was coming at them. Uh, it was all a lie so when the allies actually attacked normandy and showed up all of the german tanks were just chilling in the bay of biscay waiting for an attack over there that never happened because the attack was happening at normandy wait this all had to do with like dunkirk and yeah fucking that's wild and yeah. Oh my god. Crazy, right? Yeah. Yes. So uh 
she like the attack at Normandy was able to happen because she had told all the Germans to go chill out at the Bay of Biscay where they all were. That's insane. <laughs> that I am I have no words right now because <laughs> no one fucking tells us these things and it's such a key component of that day. Yeah. Nuts, huh? Yes. Uh-huh. <laughs> so thanks to Elvira, it was a great success <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. she fucking fooled the Germans. Oh, my so God. So basically when the D-Day invasion took place, um, it hit and it happened. And so the Germans were like, what the fuck? Like, what the fuck? Like, they ha- they knew something was up. My mind's so blown <laughs> right now. I I want to flip a table. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, so she basically sent a letter to the Germans to be like, oops, looks like I got it wrong. (laughs) Whoopsie daisy. My bad. Just the drunk party girl. (laughs) Yeah, and literally just like was like, I got bad information from my informant, like blamed it on whoever she, her informant was on the British side. And so uh, she basically got away with it. Like they just were like, no fuck. one found this weird. No one questioned. They're like, girl, what? This was a big fuck up. No one questioned it. Oh, my God. So <laughs> it was a huge success. D-Day happened. Everybody, like, everything went as the British had wanted it to happen. Elvira, you know, kicked ass, duping the Germans. And basically the war started to like it was now in an ending phase so, like the war was ending but elvira continued to play a significant role in searching through the german hierarchy to find out like who is still alive and still actively like fighting against peace mm-hmm. so she was sent to madrid to meet with german intelligence and this was something she, like, set up with them. Like, oh, we're going to, like, join forces together as, like, spies and, like, touch base on, like, everything that happened, basically. But she was also very worried. She was like, what if they're on to me and the minute I meet up with them, they just kill me? Like, right. it it was now a huge risk. Like, this was the first time that she was, like, panicked and, like, I might die. Like, I actually literally might die right now. But she went forward, going to Madrid to basically try to, like, find the last few German spies that she'd been working with and, like, probably just try to, like, arrest them or get any last information she could. And so when she went over to Madrid, they didn't show up. They straight ghosted her. And she's like, where the fuck is everybody? And so she, like, apparently sends them, like, a hate mail. Like, fuck (laughs) you. You stood me up. I came all the way out here to Madrid to meet you guys and you just fucking ghosted. And... She had assumed that when she was going to meet up with them, they would, like, question the fuck out of her, you know, and, yeah. like, potentially kill her. But after she sent this hate mail, all they did was apologize and were like, sorry, we couldn't make it after all. But uh, <sighs> can you find out if there uh, are any planned attacks taking place here and there? Like, they were still working with her. What the fuck? Like, they didn't question her. They didn't suspect her still come on how dumb are they <laughs> dumb as fuck oh my men are so fucking stupid i don't know i just like what the fuck? how can they not know 
I don't know. I have no idea. There's so many red flags yes. coming from this chick. Yeah. So she basically was like, all right, well, I'm heading home. Like, screw you for making me come all the way out here and, like, not actually going through with the meeting. Um, but, like, accept your apology. See you when I see you. And so uh, peace was declared. Eventually, like, the war ended. Peace was declared. And, like, she broke ties with all of these, like, German people. I don't know what happened to them. I think they kind of all dropped off the face of the earth and went into hiding. Like You're all in, in um, Argentina. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> so Elvira just went on living her life. She spent the rest of her life in the south of France running a souvenir shop <sighs> and lived off the remaining dollars from her inheritance from her rich dad. And then in 1995... The Ooh. leader of M15 was informed that Elvira was broke as fuck. <laughs> like, she'd, like, ran through all of her inheritance and, like, was struggling. Homegirl was not good with money. No. It was not her thing. So, they in December of 1995, they sent her a $5,000 check uh, and said, like, hey, this is our way of, like, letting you know that your wartime service is still remembered and appreciated. So they just, like, threw her some money to be, like, we heard you're, like, going through hard times. She was, like, like in her 80s. Yes. And so oh she, she got the money, and one month later, she died. <laughs> no. I thought you were tell me one month later, she spent it all. Right? <laughs> probably. She probably died penniless still. Yes. She probably went straight to the casino. Spent the 5000 and then died of a heart attack, like, at age... I don't know how she died. Again, it didn't say, but she died at the age of 85. And so, basically, uh, this woman, who is thought of as a good-time girl with no allegiances to anyone except herself, was, in fact, a vital part of the success of the Allied forces. And the M15 files on Elvira Chadois were made public on September 5th, 2005. So that's when it finally went out into the world that she was a double agent spy. Such a long time after. And uh, to end on a quote, she said, quote, I recall the adventure as the most wonderful and intense period of my life. And that's Elvira She's crazy, man. <laughs> and also just like that one detail about like how much she aided in D-Day, Dunkirk, Normandy, like any name you want to call that one day. Yeah. It just blew my mind. There's so much there's there's so much history. There's so many stories, movies, everything about that specific event. I know. And she's nowhere to be mentioned, nowhere to, like, and she helped, but... She was a Peruvian, bisexual, socialite... Party girl. Party girl, casino-dwelling, wild child. you imagine? I just think of, like, the New York socialites, like, in... That are here and just, like, party, and they're just, like, rich girls and they're like oh i'm gonna be a spy right like one of the housewives like beverly hills housewife yeah like <laughs> <Gigi> Hadid. <laughs> that's it's crazy nuts, oh my right? god these, these two women were so parallel i think i know i'm like did they ever cross paths did i know they ever were like See you on the flip side. <laughs> exactly. That's why I was like wondering if you'd heard about Nora Inyat Khan because she was in the SOE at the exact same time. Oh my god! As Virginia, so you and you would think they would have crossed paths at one point. Probably, prob but also it's like, is it better if you don't know? 
like who your other spy counterparts are right like you, is it better for you to just yeah. work with the network that you have yeah, and not totally. realize like because then you can give them away yeah exactly and you only have like your specific contacts mm-hmm. given all my spy work that i've done <laughs> Yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Again, it's just wild that these women were overlooked and considered non-threatening and incapable of doing something to this level and were, I mean, Elvira was like considered one of the greatest agents the Germans ever had. Do not underestimate women. <laughs> oh, my God. But but this is like... Virginia Hall was hiding, like, messages in her belly button. How tiny, tiny does that have to be? You wrap it around a bobby pin. Like, writing with her pee. (laughs) It just... Insane. I know. Oh, my goodness. And I just, like, on top of all of that, how scary does it have to be to be a double agent? Like, I would be... That's worse. I I would be heavily medicated. Yeah, my anxiety could fucking never... Keep a straight face and be like, you caught me. I'll tell you everything you want and more. The whole the whole time you're thinking that they know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm like, does everybody hate me? I'm here wondering all the time if people hate me. Are they talking about me? Are they hanging out without me? Why is everyone so mad at me? How could I possibly be a double agent? I That's what I'm saying. And these were just regular p- women picked up off the side of the street, thrown into double agent life. They were not bred and raised to, to be, be these. in these worlds. And it's, they're so polar polar opposite because Virginia is like, I want to help and I have this peg leg right. and I'm just like against all odds. And Elvira is like, woo, I'm a rich girl. <laughs> no, Elvira was like, oh, you're going to pay off all my debt? Okay, yeah, I'm yeah, like, Oh, I can't get a job, but you'll pay me to do I'll this do it. Give, Just buy me the purse. <laughs> buy me the purse from your friend Coco Chanel. <laughs> Right. And also she didn't have to really she just got to play her own self like they just yeah, were in a bar name or anything. Like, look hot and like attract these dudes yeah, and girl. like get them to like you. And she's like, easy. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love this. More female spies. How did you find out about her? Uh, this oh, is one of my books. Yes, yes, yes. Bygones badass broads. She is in here. Look at this is her picture. Oh, she had that short hair. Peruvian. Interesting. Yeah. And they described her as a drinker, gambler, playgirl, and spy. (laughs) (laughs) So I saw spy and I was like, drinker, gambler, and playgirl? That's fine. She's in. But honestly, that's way more exciting. I mean, Virginia was just known as a limping lady. That's so horrible. (laughs) So fucked. So fucked. Oh, wild cool stuff, episode, huh? yeah. And of course, <laughs> Chloe threw up mid-episode. <gasps> You're lying. I just kind of looked over as I was talking about Virginia Hall. I was like, that's puke. I luckily put a blanket down on my couch, so I'm just going to wrap that up. Wait, she barfed on the yes. couch? Oh, my God. Yeah, she's like, you go, bitch. And now she's passed out, of course, next to me. I'm like, oh, but when I had to talk... Tippy tapping all over, just tippy tapping all over the house, and then vomited. Yeah. Oh my god, I'm actually bummed out we didn't capture on recording her barfing. I didn't even hear it. I just kind of turned around. I was like, <laughs> I was like mid sentence. I'm like, do I stop and say this fucking dog just threw up, or <laughs> if, if it would have been like a, I would have died. <laughs> 
Yeah. Woo! All right. Yeah. Well, you have some cleaning to a do. Big steaming pile of puke to clean up. Um. Um. I'm not gonna lie. This is gross. So- but she was eating it. So I'm like. Oh my! Right now she's she was, it? but I couldn't like yell at her to stop. Oh my god! It's just getting worse. I know. This dog has has gone through the worst things ever, so this is the least of her worries. Thank you guys so much for listening to another episode of Mimosa Sisterhood Podcast. Can you think of a handful of friends out there that would love learning about our beautiful limping lady and our scandalous bisexual gambling addict? If so, please be sure to send this episode their way via text message, send it over via email. You can reshare our social media clips on your social platforms. Get the word out there about this amazing episode because women of espionage are the motherfucking shit. All right. Well, that's it for today. Uh, Love you guys, as always. You know that. And I'll see you in a couple weeks. Bye.